the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, indeed, we are here. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. And you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And in a couple of moments, we'll be talking with Christopher Cheney, author of Mama, Peaches, and Me. And you want to stay tuned for that. Very entertaining and very helpful for caregivers everywhere. Carol Zerniel is a nationally known gerontologist, the past president, and still on the board of the National Council on Aging. She serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and uh, it's good to see you. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be here. Now, we talked with Christopher Cheney uh, a while ago, and we're having him back. We don't bring a lot of guests back. Well, we don't, but, I mean, who can resist Mama Peaches? It's a funny story. It's funny stories, um, and all of us need a little bit of laughter, so why not? So I want to ask you a question, because wherever you go, uh, for the few of us who still occasionally walk into an apartment store, a department store, that are slowly all disappearing, which is unfortunate in, in many ways. But there's always music in the background. When you go into a restaurant, there's music playing. There's music on elevators. Does music affect your behavior? Well, that's an excellent question. So, of course, someone has had to do a study on music, uh, and they were looking at music and behavior, and does it impact what you eat? And this might surprise you, or maybe not. I don't know. So this would picture yourself in Stockholm, Sweden, and in a restaurant. So part of the time, the restaurant's playing a different, you know, a chain of music. It starts out classical music, gets some rock and roll. So which one do you think helps you to make healthier choices? Classical music. The classical music. You got it right the first time. So they actually, I love this, they sort of, you know, watched people. They they noticed in this restaurant that this music looped around <laughs> from very soft and classical to very loud um, rock. rock and roll. And they watched what people ordered Interesting. based upon what music was playing. And what they found was that soft music tended to make people, people made healthier choices, and loud music caused them to choose less healthy choices. So in other words, people ordered a lot more chocolate cake when the rock and roll was on, which I thought was interesting. And just to test that theory, they then went to a supermarket and they watched people buy groceries between the classical music and the really loud music, and, and people chose more fruits and vegetables, Put it actually put it in their cart when there was soft music playing. That's fascinating. So I guess the moral of the story is that loud music kind of amps you up and gets you excited. And maybe, you know, what our parents told, for those of us who are old enough to remember when rock and roll was going to rot your brain. Right, rot and, your soul. And, and, and bad things were going to happen to you. They may have been right. All that loud rock and roll music, you know, made us throw caution to the wind and uh, made us make a lot of bad choices. So for those of you who have listened to loud rock and roll your whole life, the bad choices, it's, it is the music. It may be too late. <laughs> it may be. Makes me want cherry pie just thinking about it. Now, if you take a look at uh, uh, the need for people in their 70s and 80s and 90s to have some kind of long-term care, and so many folks don't, what about 18-year-olds? What do they think about long-term care? Well, 
when you ask that question, you can automatically hear why would you ask an 18 year old what they who asked 18 year olds what they think of long term care? Because you can afford it at 18. Well, you know, so this there's a new study that came out um, at the University of Chicago from Newark at the University of Chicago, and they actually, for the first time, they've been doing a long term care study <laughs> for years, but this is the first time they've gone down to the 18 to 39-year-olds mm. and asked them what they thought about long-term care. Um, what they think is not vastly different from people over the age of 40, um, but it's interesting because they, too, don't believe they will ever need long-term care. So the majority of us, if we live long enough, are going to require some sort of help driving managing our medications, uh, you know, taking those trips to the doctor, whatever. But most people don't think they will ever need long-term care, and the 18 to 39-year-olds don't either. Wow. That's an old lady down the street. She needs long-term care. She needs long-term care. Now, what is interesting, they also think that Medicare, Medicaid, well, I should say Medicare and Social Security are going to pay for their long-term care if they do need it. So Not going to happen. Just for the record, for anyone <laughs> listening, Medicare and Social Security don't pay for long-term care. Medicaid does, but you have to spend down to poverty for Medicaid to kick in. The difference is that 18 to 39-year-olds don't believe they're ever going to collect Social Security or Medicare. They think this, the safety nets that we enjoy now will disappear by the time they reach old age. Wow. Which... You know, really makes me sad because both of those programs, um, they are not entitlements. They are social insurance. You pay your premiums all of your life and you earn that money back. Maybe the first people that paid into Social Security didn't got more money out of it than they put in. But when you think about how many people work and start working young and work until very late life, um, it's a it's still a, a very good investment. So young people get out there and vote to save your Social Security and Medicare. Um, and, uh, the, and the other difference with the 18-year-olds is they do think that employers should offer long-term care insurance. Oh, which most of us, they, we didn't even think that was a choice. We didn't know it existed. Um, and a lot of people wait too long. If you wait till you're in your 50s or 60s. Can't afford it. You can't afford it. But young, if you did start in your 20s and 30s with long-term care insurance, you know, you, you would have a nice uh, coverage for, for long-term care. Just you have to make sure you keep your payments up for years and years and years. That's a thing to tell your kids. That's a thing to tell your kids. So interesting. It's interesting. It is. That, um, it, the nice thing is that they know that long-term care insurance exists. So they, what plus one for the young folks. That's cool. Can I call them young folks? Does that make yeah, me sound like Yeah, you call them like young like folks. E. No, that's okay. So I guess the next question that follows that is, are you only as old as you feel? Now, so all of us have heard this, right? Yes. Yeah, you're only as old as you feel. Age is just a number. You're not getting older. You're getting better. I feel hair dye coming on right there. <laughs> or 70s, the new 50. So, of course, this is from the Washington Post. There was a study. Another we, study. Another study. It's always a study asking people, um, you know, looking at people who say they feel younger. And you probably have noticed the same thing. You know, if if I were to ask you how old do you feel, you know, would you do you feel younger than your age? Yes. And so they find that and I would do the same thing. What they find across the board is that people will cite, you know, 10 to 20 years younger than they actually are. And it's not because it's not necessarily denial. It's that most of us actually do feel pretty good regardless of our age. Um, if we are uh, living a life that has meaning, uh, it, we don't have to be in 100% good health, uh, but we, we have been raised in American society by television and movies and books and teachers. Little kids as young as four years old are already ageist. They already have a negative view of aging. Really? Um, but what we find is that as we get older, we don't think we're old. And we start when we realize, you know what, maybe we were wrong about the old people. So those those of us as we get older that do say we feel younger, you know, self-rated health is a better indicator than actual health. 
um, then we're going to feel better. It's, it's really about the meaning that we have in our lives. But when I was a kid, people who were 60 looked really old. Well, yeah, and, and if you were to put a picture of, you know, my grandmother at 60 versus a 60-year-old today, there's a huge difference. It's, you know, they also sell, des- they just sell designer clothes, clothes to children. So all <laughs> of us look better, even when we're toddlers. I like that. So the fact is uh, you indeed are as old as you feel. You're indeed as old as you feel. So if you're feeling better and feeling younger, you are. Once more, we look at exercise and diet. And it turns out uh, that you can indeed deal with weight, deal with health, deal with cognitive thinking if you watch your diet and exercise. Well, there, you know, we talk a lot about diet and exercise on the show, and I, and I apologize, but this is a great story about some mice and a running wheel. So, <laughs> Were they naked? <laughs> they were naked. The mice were naked. And, you know, we, we tend to think that it, we, if we exercise more, we're going to lose more weight, right? That's what a lot of us think. Yeah, but it doesn't really work that way. Well, but why doesn't it work that way? Because you can't burn enough calories. Well, actually, what, what they found is if you, they put the running wheel in with the mice. Right. And so they first, before they put the running wheel in... They watched what the mice were doing. Mice had limited access to running wheel, what they do the rest of the time. So there's the baseline. Then they gave them access to the running wheel a little bit. And then they gave them complete access to the running wheel all the time, all mice, all running wheel, all the time. And what they found was once the mice got on, the ones that got on the running wheel and exercised the heck, just ran and ran and ran and ran, they stopped moving around when they weren't on the running wheel. So they immediately reduced their exercise, their physical output, when they weren't exercising. They're not saying it correlates necessarily with people, but there was immediate change in behavior. Because the mice are lying, and I can totally see us doing that. So now all of you who do any kind of exercise, you know, how do you reward yourself? Do you sit down on the couch and watch the movies, you know, and binge watch television for the rest of the weekend because you did one thing that was physically active? Or you take a nap. Or you take a nap or you you splurge and you get the pie. So they they found that the mice, you know, didn't do as much activity. Um, you know, they ate probably as much as they always did, but they were actually, there was a negative net wow. calorie burn because they didn't do as much exercise throughout the day. Speaking of mice, I used to carry a cartoon around uh, that was uh, two mice talking in a cage uh, in a saccharin test. Science says saccharin testing, and the one mouse says to the other, I liked it better when we were smoking. <laughs> Exactly. So stay tuned. We'll find out more more about mice, naked roll, naked <laughs> mole rats, and other things. But coming up next, we've got Charles Cheney to talk about Mama Peaches and me. And, and I was thinking the other day about Christopher. snails. Christopher. Christopher Cheney. Christopher Charles Cheney. See, I got all snails who have memory. Yeah. The, yes. We talked about the that. The things we do. Now. I can't get over that. There, that's why there are people who frown upon all these testing, but you know. We 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 got to make some progress. Yeah, well, they shocked their little feelers. Oh, I can dear. appreciate that. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9:30 a.m. The answer. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel, and indeed Christopher Cheney next. Mama Peaches and me. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host Cora Juke is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well... I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. 
Well, there aren't many guests who make it back again on Caregiver SOS On Air. The ones who do were all-stars the first time we talked with them. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel, and Christopher Cheney falls into that category. Mama Peaches and me, we remember laughing, laughing, and laughing the last time we had Christopher on, and we're delighted to welcome back Christopher Cheney. Thanks for joining us again on Caregiver SOS On Air. My pleasure. I'm so excited to be here again with you guys. Now, you, you've written about self-care tips for the caregiver in your book, Pete, Mama, Peaches, and Me. Uh, let, let's go back to how the title came about. Oh, absolutely. I, um, as, you, as I mentioned before, the last time I was on the show, I was um, a caregiver for my mom. She suffered uh, with dementia before she passed away in 2016. And that was a very trying period for me. I'm one of those accidental caregivers that became crowned as a caregiver overnight. And so it was a life-changing event, very stressful for not, uh, not only me, but my mom as well, because I had to move her in with me. And so one of the things that I did to relieve stress was to write these funny stories about mom. She was very funny. She would do funny things, and she would say just things that were off the wall, just caught you off the guard. And I was sharing with our Facebook audience. And so those writings became known as Mama Peaches. And someone along the way said, hey, you know, I'm really enjoying these stories. You need to write a book about Mama Peaches. And so that's exactly what I did. Uh, I collected all those stories, the funny stories, and I added some resources for caregivers in terms of where to go uh, locally, regionally, and uh, uh, nationally for support when you're a caregiver. And that's something that I didn't have in my caregiving journey. Um and I certainly wanted to share that with other caregivers. So the book that you wrote is Mama Peaches and Me, Wit and Wisdom for Worn Out Caregivers. Now, was your mother's name, Did she? Did was she called Peaches? Is that what people called her? <laughs> she was. Her, her full name was um, Odessa Cheney, and her nickname was Peaches. And, and so she became known as Mama Peaches. As Mama Peaches, which is such a friendly yeah. name. Well, give us um, give us a couple of examples. Or, you know, was it funny things she did before she had Alzheimer's? Was she always funny, or she just had a, you know, she became funny later on? <laughs> I, Mom had always been really funny, and you know, it's one thing that I've discovered about um, individuals that go through Alzheimer's dementia. Sometimes their uh, personalities will go to the extreme. Um, if they were real quiet, they may be even more reserved. Uh, in my case, my mom was uh, on the borderline of kind of quiet and, and, and extrovert, depending on what environment she was in. Uh, she'd always been funny, and she enjoyed having people laugh. Um, I think she really tapped into that humorous side as a way of saving me, and I, I love to explain that. I um, had two brief nervous breakdowns, and for anyone who knows me, uh, I'm very mild-minored. Um, so you don't see me raising my voice. And I, I got to the point where I couldn't take it and I started raising my voice. Uh, and, again, it was maybe two or three minutes. But I, uh, the second time I did it, I looked at my mom, and there was just this fear on her face. She would never seen me in, in, in such a mode. And um, she started getting even more funnier, if I can say it that way. Um, I think she was rescuing me from all the stress and keeping me laughing. And... Um, that's a that's a I wonderful she, thought that your yeah, mom recognized. Yeah. You know, my my mother also had Alzheimer's, and, yeah. and and there were several occasions when you know she would apologize or or say something that let us know that you know she recognized that she needed help, and, she, and we were all doing the best that we could, and she was really sorry, you know, that we were all doing this together. Um, but so there, you know, a lot of people think that folks with Alzheimer's may not know anything at all, but there's, there are places along the journey it was a neat where they kind of, where, where they can come back and they can recognize it. So that, that's, uh, you know, I think that's great that your mother was, was helping you be a caregiver. Now, Christopher, yes. you said you were an accidental caregiver. I think, unfortunately, many caregivers end up caregiving accidentally they get a phone call yes. mom or dad's in the icu you better come in or so-and-so <laughs> fell off a ladder broke both their legs we need you at home now what happened in your case so in my case i got a phone call from my brother who had had a conversation with mom 
and um, two and two wasn't adding up to four. And I said, you know, just relax. Mom and I both lived in the same state. We lived in Tennessee. Uh, she was in Knoxville. I'm uh, about two hours away in Chattanooga. My brother was in Ohio. So I gave Mom a call, and she just didn't sound like herself. She was um, hallucinating. And so I went to get her, brought her to my house for the weekend, and I just didn't recognize my own mom. Uh, so I took her to the hospital, and the doctor said, you know, your mom needs to be cared for 24-7. And uh, that diagnosis, um, blink of eye, changed the rest of our lives. Now, when you say you didn't recognize her, uh, how did that make you feel? Did that shock you, scare you? It, it scared. It would, it's, it's, I was like a uh, kaleidoscope of emotions almost every day. You know, they're scared. Uh, <laughs> you just name it. Every emotion there is, I think, as a caregiver, I felt it. Um, but, yeah, I didn't recognize my mom. I couldn't predict her behavior. Um, she just seemed like a different person. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. We're talking with Christopher Cheney and his book, Mama Peaches and Me, talks about how he becomes a caregiver and then offers all kinds of advice and tips on caregiving, often through his mother's humor. So give a, tell us a, a story, a Mama Peaches story. What's something that she did that just brought a smile to your face? Oh, goodness. You have to really read the, <laughs> the little story. The one thing I like about the book, and I will, I'm, I'm leading up to a story, is there are little vignettes. It's very easy to read. In fact, um, someone got the book this weekend and called me back the next day and said, I'm finished reading it already, and I just was laughing all the way through it. Um, there are stories with me. Uh, there's one story that people just absolutely love. I'm chasing my mom. Um, my mom was a smoker, and she wasn't supposed to smoke, and I think she did it when she was in her own place and tried to hide it from us, but we kind of knew she was doing it. So when she moved in with me, she couldn't hide it as much, and so we were always arguing about the cigarettes. And um, there's one story where mom's smoking in the living room, and I tell mom, no, you know you're not supposed to smoke here. And she said, well, I'm going to take it outside i got to get my shoes. So she's walking around the house uh, looking for her shoes and puffing and puffing and puffing. And um, bottom line is she's she finished the cigarette, <laughs> and there's no need for her to go outside. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a, took, her, took her a long time. Yeah, I'm looking for yes, that cigarette yes, puff. Yes, yeah, I can't yes, find my yes, shoes and, here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and there was another story. We went to the – I took her to the gas station. And uh, she ended up buying uh, a pack of cigarettes. And so when we got to the house, I discovered them and took them from her. Um, the next thing I know, she comes from the back room and she's blowing smoke out. And she uh, had bought a second pack of cigarettes. And she <laughs> said, I thought I was doing something by taking the cigarette. And she said, um, if you're going to be a player, you have to know how to play the game. Ooh. Um, <laughs> and she said... Something about being a player, just everybody just kind of loved that story as well. That's great. That's pretty funny. Yeah. So the dementia did not slow down her ability to buy cigarettes. Oh, no. And mom kept me on my toes. Um, she was also known as a runaway mother. We went, um, we went on a trip, and I went in to get some gas, came out of the gas station, and mama was gone, and we had the policemen, the fire department looking for her. She was probably two cities away from her her, her city. Uh, she was on the local news. <laughs> she was a missing person. Now she took your car? And, uh, no, she didn't take the car. Okay. But she, but so how long was she gone? She was gone for a couple hours, and um, we were looking for her, uh, I think that's Rockwood, Tennessee. And after a couple hours, I just told the policeman, hey, I know my mom. I don't know how she's going to do it, but she's going to make it home. So I get in the car, I drive to her house. She's not there. I go to a place where I can get Internet access, and I'm doing this whole Facebook campaign looking for my mom, and I finally get a call. Long story short, she had hitched a ride <laughs> with a complete stranger, and the stranger recognized mom on the local TV station there, and she went to um, the bus station, Grand Bus Station, and she bought a ticket so that she can go home. Wow. And she's been saying that all weekend. I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. And I know my mom, but she makes up her mind she's going to do it. Was, it, was, pretty... was home her house, not your house? Exactly. Um, home was her house. And I, there's something that, and speaking of that, there's something that I tell caregivers um, 
when I'm coaching and mentoring them. I made a I made the mistake when mom moved in with me. I kept saying, you know, you live here. This is your house. And oftentimes that's not the thing to tell um, a loved one, especially when you uproot them and move them into a new environment. Um, I advise people to not say that this is your new house, but, hey, tell me about your house and what do you miss about it and what makes it so special. Uh, and then you get into a dialogue and it kind of softens the atmosphere. Because many folks with Alzheimer's uh, want to go back to their home, and it very often is their childhood home. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, and that was that was one of the early mistakes that I made in my career was working with the family. You know, I had um, read or heard somebody say that if somebody says they want to go home, they want to go home, put them in the car, you know, drive them around the block, and then, and, and then say we're home. So there was a man who his wife said was constant, I want to go home, want to go home, want to go home. So I told him, this is what you got to do. So he comes back. He goes, well, I tried it. I said, really? How did it go? He said, well, she said, I want to go home. And she was just going on and on. So I put her in the car. We drove around for about 15 minutes, took her back to the house. And I said, here we are. We're home. She looked at me and she said, who are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, I'm like, okay, we'll just take that one off the list. Wow. That's, that's right. That's right. Stick now, with us a minute. You, uh, hey, you had it. Stick with us a minute. We're going to come right back to you. Christopher Cheney is with us. Mama Peaches and Me is his book. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zernio. You hear us at 930 AM, The Answer. We're having a great conversation with Christopher Cheney, his book, Mama Peaches and Me. We had him on many months ago, and it was so interesting and entertaining. We thought we would invite him back, and here he is. And since we last talked, Christopher, uh, you have done a lot of speaking to caregiver groups in a variety of places. What is it you say to them? Oh, there's a number of things. Um, I, You know, I really resonate with people. Uh, one, I'm a male um, we don't see a lot of male caregivers, although they're out there. Uh, and I have a story. So I'm a real person with a real experience, with a real message, and it gets people's attention. I'm very transparent about my experience as a caregiver. Um, I talk about what it means to be a caregiver and how, what to expect. Um, when I was a caregiver, I did not self-identify as a caregiver. And because I didn't set up self-identify as a caregiver, I didn't realize that there were resources in the community uh, to help a caregiver. I simply thought that I was a son taking care of his mom, and I thought that we were in, uh, there were no there was virtually no one out there like us, or very few. Um, but in my journey, I've learned that there are lots of caregivers. In fact, caregivers are kind of like fingerprints. And that no two situations are quite the same, um, but there's still that same level of frustration and uh, trying to make the best of a situation. So are you surprised that your story resonates with so many people? Would no. You, would you have expected this when you first started, that you'd make a career <laughs> out of it? I, I never did. I never did. Um, again, I was living life happily employed as a um, senior program manager for the federal government, um, so I never saw it coming. What department were you with? Um, I was with the Energy Department, uh, TVA. Ah. Very famous in Tennessee. Yes. Very famous. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We, yeah. oh, yeah. we read about that. Tennessee Valley Authority. That's Got right. It. It's in the history Learned books. that in so, high school. <laughs> so, guys, I, I am busting at the scenes right now. I have an announcement to make, a development that has occurred since we last talked. Oh, we don't want you to explode. What's your <laughs> announcement? <laughs> well, Mama Peaches and Me um, has been um, identified as one of the best caregiving books of 2017. So it is now an award-winning book. The award-winning Mama Peaches and Me. excited about. That's excellent. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Now maybe you can sell more copies, right? Well, that, that, that's always the hope. That's always that the, the hope. hope. Yeah. Well, what have you, so since you've written, written, written this award-winning book, um, 
have you learned anything post caregiving that you didn't really hit you when you were a caregiver? Very good question. I think one of the things that um, it's the whole grieving aspect of missing mama and really adding, uh, realizing the value of what I was able to do in terms of uh, caring for my mom. Um, that's something that's very priceless. I, I was beating myself up because I think this is really common with caregivers in that, you know, we think that we're not doing the right thing. We, in the back of our minds, we want to be this perfect caregiver. But I think I tell people it's not being a perfect caregiver. It's simply being present in someone's life as a caregiver. And so when I think about the little things that I was able to do for my mom, it's very comforting for me. Um, the other thing that I embrace is, again, I'll go back to the grieving. Um, I had a hard time with it. And someone said to me, you're going to grieve, and it's perfectly fine, and this is what you do. You grieve in the way that's best for you, and you grieve as long as you want to. And that was probably the most healing thing that I heard. It gave me the authority to grieve. <laughs> it gave me permission to grieve. Um, I have pockets, and I never know what's going to trigger it. And, Carol, you might can relate to this. It could be a song. It could be a scent. And I have this longing where I'm missing mama. But they, the, the, but now what happens is I'll begin to think about mom, and I get really sad, and I get cheery. But it always ends with, for the most part, a smile or a laughter because I'm remembering um, a gem of a memory that she left me. Well, that you know, and that's so important um, to to recognize. We talk a lot about you know, how difficult caregiving is and and some of the negative aspects. But so many people like you, and and we'd like them to to learn it while they're still in the middle of things. That you know, caregiving can also be a tremendous gift. It's time you're spending with a loved one that you might not have given that quantity of time if yes. they hadn't needed the care. Um, and, and you, uh, in this case, in addition to all of that time with your mother, got these wonderful stories uh, and have really, you know, created a, sort of a, a different life for yourself than you may have had. I mean, that, that's a, those are tremendous gifts. I want to find out from you in just a minute, uh, are there things now that you might have done differently knowing what you know now? And for those of you who just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio, and we're talking with Christopher Cheney. Mama, Peaches, and Me is his award-winning book. So what would you have done differently? Um, I, I, um, I got asked that question a couple months ago, or earlier in May. Um, I actually went to Canada, Toronto, Canada, as part of my North American Mama, Peaches, and Me book tour. Um, and so I was asked, you know, what would you do differently if you could go back? There were there are a few things I would do differently. One, I would have um, when I embraced the notion that I needed to take care of my mom. I moved her in. I thought, oh great, this is an opportunity for me to make sure that she's eating well, taking her medications. I'll get her to the right doctors. I'll make sure she's socialized. She's going out there. She's uh, meeting people and having fun. I'm going to help her recover back to life. While I continue to live my life the way that I've always lived it. And so I was trying to fit my mom into my world, and that just did not work. No matter how hard I tried, it just wasn't working. And so we didn't have a break until I came to the realization that rather than fitting mom into my world, I had to go into her world. And so once I did that, things started to balance out a bit more. Uh, That was one thing that I learned. The other thing I learned was um, I would get sometimes impatient with my mom. Um, I would ask her a question she wouldn't ask her rarely. I may ask two or three times. What I've learned is people that are uh, incognitively impaired, sometimes it takes them a little longer to respond. So imagine someone asks you a question and watch your clock and wait for about 30 seconds. 30 seconds doesn't sound like a long time, but when you're waiting for a response, it seems like eternally. Um, but you have to realize that oftentimes in the case of my mom, she was processing the information before she could get out. Um, I'll give you one more. I would. Um, I remember one day, mom and I needed to go to the doctor, and I was waiting for her to 
to select her clothes and get changed, and she wouldn't do it. Like I said, Mom, why don't you get dressed? And she's on the other side of the room, and finally uh, we actually missed that doctor's appointment because she couldn't get dressed in time. So when I got permission to open her door and come in, she was sitting on the bed looking at the closet, and I realized then and there she was overwhelmed with the decision. There were so many choices, and so one of the tips that I offer is, in a case like that, you give your loved ones fewer choices so they're not overwhelmed. I should have pulled out three outfits and said, hey, Mom, which one do you want to wear? And she would have been able to handle that. Well, and one of the things, you know, as caregivers, I think that all of those are, are great stories. They're, they're great advice. I don't think there was ever a time that I rushed my mother that it didn't end badly. Um, okay. <laughs> it's just we gotta go. Come on, yeah, Mom. yeah. That 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 wasn't that wasn't working. But um, but you know, on the flip side of that, I can remember going to the grocery store and not having a deadline at all, so that she could stay in the grocery store as long as she wanted. Uh, we had nothing to yes. do. My mother would pick up the same box of cookies. It was the um, Devil's Food cookies that are the low-sugar uh, devil's food cookies, she would she'd pick up the box, she'd put it down, she'd look at the cookie aisle, she'd come back to that box, she'd pick it up, I don't know, maybe 50 times, she'd look at the same box of cookies and spend maybe an hour on the cookie aisle looking at the same box of cookies. But wow. she was totally enthralled with choosing a box of wow. cookies, even if she had limited it to just one box that she looked at. <laughs> um, and that was fine because I could do all the other shopping while she was on the cookie aisle, uh, and we were fine. But it that was not something that I knew from the beginning. And, and so that kind of echoes what you're talking about, Christopher. Okay. Excellent, excellent. Now, Carol, did you, um, were you a primary caregiver, or did you have siblings, fam- other family members helping with I was. I was the, I'm the long-distance caregiver that would come in on, you know, for long weekends or for um, once a year I would do the, the big long vacation where my dad and my sister would go off for, you know, about 10 days you were the and, respite, I, and yeah. I would stay and I would stay with my mom. But I came home every, you know, every four to six weeks to give them a weekend okay. off. Now, do you have brothers I, and sisters? I do. I do. And uh, it was a very distant kind of relationship. Uh, my brothers were not actively involved in the caregiving space, uh, which caused some strain on our relationship. Yeah, you had mentioned your and brother what, in Ohio had called you. Yeah, yeah. I have three um, um, all together. And I, I, looking in hindsight, um, and as I talk to other caregivers who also may have challenges with family members, um, I do believe that certain family members have the quote-unquote care gene where they're more sensitive and into to the care of their loved ones. Not everybody has that. And I think if I had that revelation in the beginning, I would have approached my brothers a little differently. Uh, I was very hard on them because they were not actually involved. They didn't seem like they care. Uh, But I think a part of it is you have family members that are in denial. They don't want to face that fact that someone who's very visible and strong in their lives, who represented a parent, is, is now very vulnerable. So um, what would you tell if a caregiver comes up to you and says, you know what, my brothers and sisters, they're no help. They don't help me at all. What would you tell them now? Um, and it's interesting because I had this dialogue with someone yesterday. I have a um, Facebook, a Mama Peaches and Me, and it's a 24-7 um, online caregiving support group. And here's one. There are some things that you just cannot you just cannot change. And so you accept those things and you move on. And that was kind of the case with my brothers. You know, I knew that they were not going to change. Um, and why invest all this negative energy, the resentment, the anger, the frustration in my brothers? Why not just move on and find a, a different source of support? And so I often tell people to look for another network of support, and it could be other caregivers. Um, I'm often referring people to large organizations like the Alzheimer's Association or the National Family Caregiving Organization. And these organizations can direct you to local support groups for family caregivers. Now, Christopher, uh, we're almost out of time. For folks who want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Oh, they're more than welcome to go to my website, which is ChaneySpeaks.com, or they can find me on Facebook. I mentioned earlier our Facebook group. 
It's called Mama Peaches and Me. Uh, you just put that in the browser. It'll take you to our group. And that's, and that's an open. That's an open group. Anybody can join. Absolutely, yes. And then, if they want to get your book, your award-winning book, "Mama Peaches and Me," where would they go? They can go to Amazon. They can also go to my website, ChaneySpeaks.com. I also have another book that came out last year, which is called um, "Mama Peaches: Hot Slices of Wisdom." And I'm working on my third one, which is uh, I haven't named it yet, but it's. A to Z devotion, prayer devotion for caregivers and those uh, that are brokenhearted. All right, so That's hot slices and lots of lots of wit and wisdom. Well, we'll have to get you back talking about hot slices. D- did you record Mama Peaches over the years? Uh, as in on my phone video? Right, right. I, I didn't necessarily, but we did take pictures, um, not as much as I wanted to. Yeah. Hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, oh, thank yeah. you so much thank for you. coming back on Caregiver SOS on air. We really appreciate. Hey, my it. pleasure. You take care. My pleasure. Christopher Cheney and uh, CheneySpeaks dot com. You can find him up next. Take ten right here on Caregiver SOS on air with Ron Aaron and Carol Zernial and Dr. Jamie Heisman will join us. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host Cora Juke is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We are so pleased you are sticking with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. We bring you Take 10 at the end of each and every one of our programs. Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us on the Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. He is a nationally known expert in caregiving and addictions. Carol Zerniel is here as well. I'm Ron Aaron. And once again, Carol has a surprise topic for Take 10. So, Jamie... um I've been thinking about happiness and and, you know, feeling better and trying to create uh, some way of feeling better, especially for all the caregivers who are out there who may not be feeling happy today. And I'm wondering, is happiness a state of mind Um, is if you are down in the dumps? Is there some way that you can turn that frown into a smile, turn that frown upside down? You know, it's one of the toughest jobs in the world you're describing here, how to take that smile and turn it the other way. And so, therefore, we don't look necessarily at happiness as the state of mind that we aspire to, even though it's a beautiful state of mind. We look at more mindfulness or or being in the state of, let's say, curiosity, where you're not too happy and you're not too sad and your expectations aren't creating what we call the seeds of resentment and that you can actually be in the moment um, and actually feel at peace. When we aspire to happiness, it sometimes sets us up, and when we obviously gravitate towards sadness, we know we're set up. Well, I think what you said was really interesting because we do, you, you know, in our work with WellMed, um, with the, some of the values that we look at, uh, and we talk about a mood elevator at work, and and here's the bot. Everything below curiosity is is in the basement, right? Those are your lower moods. Curiosity is the like the first stop on on the positive moods. So I think it's really important and interesting because that's something I've been practicing. Is when I'm I disagree with someone. When I'm in a bad frame of mind, I try to become curious about, A, why do I feel so bad about this? Why am I angry? 
Or I'm curious, what is that other person thinking? Or what's this situation? And curiosity does seem to help me elevate my mood. You know, curiosity is a, a wonderful aspiration because at that point in time, basically, we are at the place where our mind, like you say, is open and we can actually step back and handle a lot of the issues. Instead of being reactionary, we're, we're more proactive. And so I, I totally agree that the culture that we're aspiring to, curiosity, is wonderful. But then again, also the caregiver or the listener uh, of this show will say, how can I stay curious if I'm depressed, if I'm anxious, if my self-esteem is low, if I feel terrible? And so there are the challenges in our life. So we do need to find time to get to that place of curiosity, of mindfulness, and, and do certain things. So I, I, the other piece you said was happiness it may be something that's not realistic. We may be setting ourselves up for failure. Is that what I heard you say? Yes, I, I say that it's not the aspirational place necessarily we, we, we need to look at because it's a very difficult thing to, to achieve. And sometimes when we are happy, that's a fabulous thing that we're happy, but that uh, we get used to this, this is the normal state. And it's really not the normal state. And I think caregivers who are mindful or, are, like you say, are curious or in a space where they have done the necessary things that they're one foot not in yesterday and one foot not in tomorrow – I think they don't have those expectations that, that happiness has to be the state of mind. So one of the stories I remember from reading the books from Leo Buscaglia, who is the, the guy in the 70s who went around saying you should hug everybody and love, love, love. Now he'd be arrested. And yet he probably would. But he had, was traveling <laughs> He was traveling in, in areas that, that um, are, are Buddhist, follow Buddhist traditions. And the story he told was a man falls over a cliff. I mean, no, a man is chased by a tiger. And he falls over a cliff, and he it grabs hold of a tree branch on the way down. So if he climbs back up the cliff, the tiger is waiting to eat him. If he lets go of the tree branch, he's going to fall down to his death. And as he's hanging onto the branch, he sees wild strawberries are growing right there on top of the branch. And he looks and he says, ooh, strawberries. Wow. See, that's wonderful. And Leo Buscaglia was a, a great, great speaker. And, in fact, he wrote on love. Remember Leo? Oh, love? yes. I still have all of his books. Oh, but, I'm so happy. That's that's such a, a connection for me. Um, I just love him. But So here's the deal. So we, we need to do like we did. You know, we actually talked about it last week. We need to turn off the television set. We need to, you know, take the negative messages out of our mind. We need to look at things like mindfulness and go to, you know, apps, if you will, like Headspace or Insight Timer and, and, and start the beginning of, instead of aspiring to the happiness uh, place on the thermometer, go to the place that you mentioned of curiosity and of peace. All right, stay with us a minute. I want to remind folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron along with Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zerniel. You mentioned mindfulness, Dr. Jamie. Uh, one of the books I'm reading now, the lead character practices meditation every night, but then starts feeling guilty because he's using an app on his iPhone. Uh, <laughs> you know, actually, the apps on the iPhone are, are, are good sometimes, Ron. They really are. I know it's better to be in a sangha, which is a community of meditators. It really does reinforce us to be in that sort of community, and I would always recommend that before an app. But if getting to the place of, of mindfulness requires an app, then use it. Uh, there are great ones out there, as I mentioned, that, that can actually help us as caregivers to become mindful. One of them, and again, I don't have any stock in the company nor have any financial gain, but it's, it's called Headspace, and it literally teaches us very slowly, very palatably, huh. uh, of how to mind, how to become mindful and meditate. And wasn't it Norman Cousins facing really a horrible cancer who wrote about how humor can help you get out of the, the depths of despair? It, it, it was, and, and it was incredible. And it's probably an entirely different show and a whole show. I'd love to talk about that humor again. But you're right that mindfulness, and this is what you, you're so you know, adept at putting your finger on, mindfulness will create that sort of forum for 
us to be able to receive that humor and us not to be able to, to be necessarily in a terrible, anxious state where nothing is funny. So is part of being mindful really just kind of shaking off or letting go all of those things that are sort of weighing us down? Yeah, Carol, it, it helps us develop, let's say, skills to cope with stress and to reduce, let's say, mental and physical sort of maladies and symptoms that that create depression and create chronic pain. It's, it allows us, if you will, to, to join. It's a, it, I know it's more Buddhist in the past, but there are secular uh, meditation as well. Um, and if we go to, anybody wants to go Google University of Massachusetts, MBSR, that's Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, they will find that it's a fabulous program that helps us deal with the issues of life and chronic illness especially. So one of the techniques that we teach in the stress-busting program and is a mindfulness technique is deep breathing. And we were reading recently one of the uh, posts in one of the newspaper was talking about that that is really one of the key things, that if you, if you can't get to meditation, if you don't understand mindfulness, just having that really slow, deep breathing where you exhale twice as long as you inhale um, and do that throughout the day, that that's a great place to start. I so agree, and that's what we teach, hopefully, our doctors, our patients, our caregivers. And if you go to Dr. Andy Weil, who's one of the greatest integrative medical uh, resources I know, he says there's a quick, medita- uh, quick breathing technique, which is 3-4-7, which is you breathe in for three seconds, you hold it for four seconds, and you blow out for seven seconds. And you could put yellow stick-up notices and things all over your house, and any way you want, just to remind you to do three, four, seven throughout the day. I learned deep breathing in yoga. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a fabulous place. Yeah, so three, four, seven, so three and four add up to seven, and the other one is seven. So I should be able to remember that. You should be. I should, I should be. If it's your theory, too. <laughs> well, you know, you're this blowing is, out. You're blowing out. Yeah, this equally. has really been a lot of fun. We're about because, out of time. Because let me tell you why it's a lot of fun okay. in the last 10 seconds. Why don't you tell us? Because my mother was such a fan of Leo Buscaglia, Norman Cousins, and Andrew Weil. Her bookcases were full <laughs> of all of them. So thanks for the trip down memory lane. That's cool. Jamie, thank hey. you. Carol, thank you. Flat thank out of you time. Both. Take 10 on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.